Magazines and Monsters, episode 12, from Beyond the Unknown, number 20, 1972. Hey everybody, Billy D, aka Doc Strange here with another episode of Magazines and Monsters. This time around, I have a special guest, Twitter friend, author, and comic book history aficionado, Jennifer DeVross. How's it going, Jennifer? It's going pretty good. Thank you. How are you? Oh, I am fantastic. So I was really psyched when I heard you were doing a Gardner Fox biography. So I had first, I think, come into uh, knowing who he was when I read 1970s, uh, early some early Doctor Strange in Marvel premiere, I think it is, that he had scripted some stories there. Um, what, was, uh, what was your uh, first foray into the world of Gardner Fox? Honestly, it was probably something Justice League related. My grandma really liked Justice League and thought that I would really like Justice League. I was not a huge fan uh, at the beginning. I felt like it was really cartoony, like the colors were really bright. I didn't find my my comic book niche until I started getting into um, older comics. Um, but I'm sh- almost certain that's where I first read his work. <laughs> Yeah, he had quite a run on there. I'm trying to think, who was the artist? Was it Sikowski or was it, is that Most, who it was? Yeah. Okay, yeah, I thought so. I bought some hardcovers uh, that like maybe the second, third, and fourth or second, third, and fifth volume of those. And I love those stories. Those are so much fun. And Sikowski, he's not maybe for everybody, but I think he does a pretty decent job. Yeah, I, I think so too. You can see sometimes it seems like he's he's rushed or something, but other times his work can be really good. I've I've been impressed here and there. So yeah, mentioning about you know you being an author and about your uh, biography about Gardner Fox uh, without revealing too much because people need to get out there and buy the book. So how about you tell us a little bit about that book? Well, I just to to give a little bit of a, a background, um, I started working on Gardner Fox as as a class project actually and I got into the uh, master's program at U of O and I started working on the archive because I was taking a class on 19th century archives and pretty soon I I realized that there was just not a lot that was done on him and the more I researched Gardner Fox the more I realized just how much he contributed to to comics in general, not just DC, but in general. And I, I felt more and more like it was an injustice. And so I kind of just kept finding excuses to get back in the Gardner Fox collection. <laughs> and eventually, after I, I, I was close to graduating, I was confirming working on a book. And so it kind of constructs the the bits of information that was found in like fanzines and things like that alongside interviews with family members and other pieces of research that I was able to find places like uh, old newspapers and things like that um, and along with close readings of his work to kind of like tease out who Gardner Fox was what his motivations were and you know just what why we should know his name yeah, and I mean, I was checking your book out on Kindle, and I, I guess I was just expecting it to be, you know, 100% uh, Gardner Fox. This is what he was all about in reference to the comic industry. You go into a lot of just, you know, who he was as a person, too, and, you know, you know, everyday life. So that was something I really enjoyed about the book. 
I'm glad to hear that. And I do talk about his pulps too, but I figured most of the people who would pick that book up would pick it up for his comic work. Oh yeah, because he did a ton of writing, like I said, not just comics, pulps, and all sorts of you know short, short stories. stories. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, he really had a, a long and very. I mean, I don't even know how many stories he wrote, but he wrote a ton of stories. It's not even. I don't even know if a hundred percent of it has been cataloged, but he wrote a lot of stuff. <laughs> I think that's probably true. I mean, over four thousand just comic stories. Wow. Yeah, that's crazy. <laughs> Wow, but the reason we're talking Gardner Fox is because um, an issue you and I are going to talk about today, a comic book from Beyond the Unknown, which was a reprint series in the 1970s from DC Comics, and it reprinted some, you know, early uh, Silver Age stories, you know, sci-fi stories, and uh, we're specifically going to be talking about issue number 20 from 1972, 73-ish, that uh, has three stories in it, and all three stories are Gardner Fox stories. So that's, uh, you know, this is the perfect book for this conversation, I would think so. <laughs> I think so, too. Absolutely. So well, why don't we start with the cover here? I really like this one. This is a Nick Cardi cover. Um, you get some uh, interesting visuals here, for sure. And then, uh, you know, you get uh, some uh, blurbs on the left-hand side here, basically letting you know what uh, the name of each story is uh, on the inside of the book. Uh, startling cover feature and uh, the first story, Fisherman from the Sea, which is, I guess, which one the cover is uh, uh, based off of. So what do you think of this? You know, I think it's interesting the way that it's so updated. Like, the the characters don't even really look like the characters in the story, and they changed the setting from a beach, which... Uh, you know, knowing how much time Gardner Fox spent on the beach, like that feels like a weird choice. I'm like, but but I'm sure Fox was thinking beach when he was writing it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I think that they do a good job of of capturing the essence of the story. You know, like what the the main motivation is there, and um, it highlights the the way in which the humans are treated like fish, which I think is is cool. Um, I, it doesn't blow me away in any way, but it, I think it does what it needs to do, and it modernizes the the cover in a way that you know it's going to match what's on the newsstands. You know, yeah, it kind of uh, you know it's like I said, it gets the general concept of that first story, even with some uh, minor changes. But yeah, it's pretty good. I like Nick Hardy. I'm a Nick Hardy fan, mm -hmm. so I really like it and enjoy it. But uh... All right, so yeah, there are three stories in this uh, issue, like I said earlier. The first one is Fisherman from the Sea, and like we said, this is a Gardner Fox story, and then his uh, Justice League partner, Mike Sikowski, pencils, and Joe Giella, uh, inks. Um, so I'll just give a little quick synopsis here, and we'll get into the issue. So Helen and David Palmer get kidnapped by aliens who have befriended undersea humanoid creatures. They want to colonize the Earth, but after conquering it, and this is from Strange Adventures 105, 1959. That was the original uh, issue this came out in. Um, so what do you think about this one, Jennifer? I think it's clever. I, I The thing that draws my attention most in this is the uh, discussion of nuclear testing. Like, I feel like, I mean, it's literally the first thing that we learn about it is that, like, it's the... the um, that the, the, they're not going to be doing that anymore. On this momentous day, we're happy to, you know, <laughs> and, and I think that clears the way because Gardner Fox was very anti-war and anti-bombing. 
in general. And so in order for him to tell a story where a bomb saves the day, I think he had to like tie it up with this nice, but, but that doesn't happen anymore. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It's funny too, because I don't know if DC did this just in this period. And then later on, um, you know, didn't do this anymore. Like, or if this was just even across comics in the time where you open it up until the first page shows you something that's are like going to happen in the middle of the story. And then you flip to the next page and then there's the beginning of the story. But I think that's a neat idea because that first page really sucks you in and thinking, Oh wow, what's going on here? Like you want to keep reading. And then on the other hand, I think, yeah, but what if you read that first page and that's like, this is the middle of the story and I don't like this. Are you going to keep going through it? You know, I guess if you're a kid, you probably would, but as an adult, I'm thinking, Oh man, I might be like, "Uh, that doesn't sound fun. Maybe I'll skip to the next story, but I don't know. That's, that's interesting way to start the comic. I mean, I I feel like it was probably a a smart choice for this one, considering the the first page. Although it does, at the bottom, you can see that cool stuff is going to happen. But it is kind of a humdrum opener to just have two people sitting there and being like, hey, remember that one time? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, there was this uh, boring suburban life here. Like you said, yeah, it's interesting because, like you said, it seems like it's just your, you know, garden variety science fiction story from you know like i said the what earlier early silver age late golden age whatever but then you really see that fox is trying to tell like a story with a moral to it and like say you know nuclear power is something that's dangerous and definitely you know nuclear bombs and using them indiscriminately especially like my gosh like that that's not a good thing so i i really like that when they do that it's his stories never seem like overwrought or anything when he's trying to you know, get a point across in the story. I agree. I, I really like the way that he, it doesn't ever feel like he's preaching. It's a natural extension of what's happening in the story to me anyways. Um, but I did want to point out that like, just because, you know, this is in the weird that like, he does point distinctly to the disjunction of, of, of real life and, and what a nuclear bomb represents flat out calling it weird. Which, mm-hmm. you know, with him and his, you know, love of Lovecraft and all that weird does carry those connotations. Oh, yeah, for sure. But, well, what did you think of the artwork here, too? I mean, I think this is a pretty good team, Sikowski and Jella. I mean, I think I've seen mostly Jella. Maybe he was an inker on Batman, I'm feeling like, in the back of my head for some reason. But they're a pretty good team here. Like, that first page, you know, that splash page is really nice. I like that a lot. Yeah, I like the splash page. I really like um, the the female character's hair. I think is well done. Um, sometimes that can can be a, a point where people don't put as much effort. Um, I really like the um, image on the bottom of page seven where they really make it feel action packed where like the, the action is just them thinking, but you've got like the sweat dripping and and the the eyebrow raising. Like it feels like an action moment of thinking, which is something you don't see as often. I like that. Yeah. That bottom Uh, panel on that page is really nice. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I also really like um, on the top left on page nine, where they show the effects of the bomb and with those black silhouettes and the red background and the yellow highlights of the combustion and whatnot. I thought that was really well done too. Um, I, honestly, for if we're just talking art, I think this is my favorite of the, the three stories. 
Yeah, it's definitely a strong one. And it's funny, too. Like I said, just noticing these little things, it's, uh, you know, of the times, you know, the guy, of course, has to be smoking a pipe because everybody had a <laughs> pipe or a cigarette back then. <laughs> and then he's watching a television, although it looks like he has a flat screen. So for 1959, that was pretty good tech. And he's watching a, <laughs> a Western, of course, because there was 500 Westerns on TV back then. <laughs> yes. <laughs> That's just too funny. And I just noticed, too, when I was looking at that first splash page again, I'm thinking to myself, man, that is really crazy. That is like such a good page with Sikowski and Jella. And then I look in the background and there's the two alien guys standing there talking. And it looks like the one's starting to get a really like wild wedgie there. So I'm thinking to myself, <laughs> it's like, look at this guy. Look at this Tuzi in his underwear. That's just kind of funny. I'm like, <laughs> the poor alien. <laughs> but yeah, that's awesome. So yeah, good one. I really like this one. This I'm not sure either this one or the next one is my favorite of the issue. And this next one is just so crazy. That's why I think I like this one best. It's just, oh, yeah. it's just like out of control. Crazy. I love it. It's called the interplanetary restaurant. <laughs> so the blurb above it says, how would you like to eat a juicy Venusian steak or taste the rare flavor of a Martian pie? You can sample such a rare menu right now today. If you dine, at the eatery that's right out of this world, the interplanetary restaurant. <laughs> I love that. Like, that is so good. Like, for Fox to think of all these things, like, these little touches that, you know, they don't seem like a big deal. But when you have a couple of them in every story on top of having, you know, a, a good script and a good idea, you know, a fun sci-fi story and those little touches like that, that really, to me, that's one of the things that sets him apart as one of the, the oh, better yeah. writers. Oh, yeah. His creativity is, I think, the the biggest star attribute. Um, it, it, people will, will say he's not the best writer and things like that. And, you know, I agree. He's not, like, the top of the top in every category. But his creativity, I mean, it, there's few that can beat him. Yeah, and to me, when you have as much longevity as he did, too, yes. if yeah. you're not a very good writer or creator or artist, you don't last long in comics. Well, and exactly. He lasted for a long time. <laughs> Exactly. And when you think about, you know, like well over 4,000 stories total that he's written, like not everyone's going to be amazing, but they're always creative. <laughs> yeah. And you figure even the people that are regarded as the best, you know, writers and best artists, they have some off days, too. And there are stuff that's that they have true. that's stronger than other materials. So it's not that, you know, nobody was ever <laughs> perfect in everything they wrote or drew. So, you know, everybody has their their off days. But yeah, this interplanetary restaurant is a good one. It's, again, Gardner Fox story. And this one has Gil Kane pencils and Joe Giella inks. So, yeah, another another strong artistic one here. But uh, uh, this one is uh, about a man who opens a restaurant serving food he claims is from other planets. Uh, Saturnian eggs, Jovian hamburgers, and chicken a la Mars are on the menu. And when other restaurant owners complain to the Board of Health, the owner takes him and food critic Walter Winters to a cattle ranch outside the city limits to show them his ingredients. <laughs> and this one is originally from Mystery in Space 14, 1953. Wow, so this one's going all the way back to the golden age there. Mm -hmm. mm, yeah, what a fun one this one is. And this does have one of my favorite panels in any comic book ever, that very first page, the bottom right. And uh, the, <laughs> the food critic is looking at the menu and he says, what a menu. I'll believe it when I taste their food. And it has all those uh, <laughs> specials I just mentioned. Eat at the Interplanetary Restaurant, grand opening, August 3rd, 1953. And it has those Saturnian eggs and Jovian hamburger and chicken a la Mars. <laughs> Great prices. 
too, I gotta say. <laughs> yeah, Although I'm telling you. I'm very you. curious why the eggs are more expensive than the chicken and the hamburger. <laughs> yeah, I'm thinking, man, the beef prices back then must have been super, super low because eggs, I'm thinking, man, maybe there was some kind of a chicken uh, shortage back then or something in 1953. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, this is a fun story, too. And it's like, you know, the the only thing about this one is the ending, the very last uh, two par or two par two panels there that were just like the ending to this one wasn't like my favorite, but everything leading up to it was like I really enjoyed it. You know, basically, you know, the ending is it's not anything, you know, crazy like the last one or anything. Like it, basically, the guy says that you know um, these aliens that were threatening to take over the Earth if we didn't send them like I think gold and something else they were asking for like that. You know, some kind of like minerals or something and we were like okay we're gonna send them to you but then they're like yeah no let's not send them to them and the guy says that we don't have to it's a bluff because they can't send their army here to take over because the teleportation device renders you know whoever they send through like crazy and mad <laughs> which i i do gotta say that it is an abrupt ending but yeah context of Gardner Fox stories it's very classic where it's one of those he expects you to pay attention and note the same things that the people in the comics are noting so by the time you get to the end you should already be thinking that something is up and it's another again where where Gardner Fox really likes to have thinking through so instead of being frozen in fear the person stops and thinks about what's going on and then he can call the bluff because then he, he he's figured out what's going on yeah oh uh, for sure but yeah it's funny some of the panels in this one too like when they go to the uh, cattle ranch and they see all these <laughs> yeah. crazy outer space creatures and one of them is standing on his head <laughs> it's too funny it looks like a frog actually a frog man cute. <laughs> yeah it actually is i'm like oh they're gonna kill that poor guy but um i like that panel in the bottom left on that same page where it's like showing the uh planet jupiter there there's a an interesting looking shot there i really like that one yeah, I love the architecture and the coloring on that. Yeah, and then the aliens are these lizard, you know, like uh, creatures that look kind of like the Gorn from Star Trek. They <laughs> <laughs> <I> totally do. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, good one overall. And yeah, again, the artwork. I mean, it's Gil Kane and Joe Giella, so you can't really go wrong with Gil Kane. Agreed. <laughs> yeah, especially from that area. Like it's 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 really good. There's detail and everything. It's a it's a sharp story, but only what one, two, three, four pages. That's a really short one there. Like you said, maybe that's that ended kind of abruptly. Yeah, uh, that I think is the only real I issue with this one is if they even had another page, I think it would make a huge difference to the the flow of the story. Yeah, for sure. Like you said, ending really abrupt like that, kind of like shut the door too quick there. Maybe another page or two would have been uh, really helpful. I'm sure Fox would have been able to come up with something to keep it going. You know how he was. He could uh, <laughs> he could come up with stuff if he needed to. <laughs> That's very true. <laughs> and then the last one is, when did Earth vanish? Now, this one is uh, a Star Rover story. And uh, you and I were talking before we started recording here, and I'm not super familiar with the Star Rovers. So, um uh, they are a Gardner Fox creation, and I think also Sid Green, who is uh, the artist, you know, pencils and inks, I think, on this story. So what uh, do you, what do you know about Star Rovers? Tell me about what you know about them, because I'm really uh, in the dark. Well, I would say that they're most famous from the, the Labarilla story. Do you know that one where it's half? Oh, yeah, I think I have that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think I have that in a reprint. 
Yeah, yeah. And I don't think that it was actually labeled as a Star Rovers um, issue, but they, it's it certainly features them. And so most people know of the, the Lavarilla um, because it's one of those like classic, crazy, kooky, comic kind of, of <laughs> creatures. Um, but I, I really actually like Star Rovers. They they showed up in, I think, nine stories. Like, there there's not a lot of them. And they all kind of fit the same pattern. But I just, I really like what Gardner Fox is doing with it. So he there's several little things. Like, one, he loves to have star athletes have this miraculous ability to save the world. Um, he's <laughs> really into, you know, like, humans being at, like, their peak ability. Um, and, and we see that in, in each of these in different ways. And I really like that the, um, female character is both a glamour girl and a mar an expert marksman. Um, and like, she's not just a, a useless female character the way that a lot of, of, of female characters at that time were. She is an equal part of that team. Mm -hmm. Which I think is especially important to end on this story when the the beginning story, that female character was, I mean, her husband is literally telling her the story that she was a part of and she doesn't ever <laughs> have any issue. Like, and she's just <laughs> listening the whole time and like, oh, goodness, kind of stuff, right? Um, yeah. So it's nice to, to end on this where we have the, the woman actually saving the day even. Um, I, I, I just, I really, I think with the Star Rovers, for me, what really draws me to it is that, that repeated structure is the way in which, just like with the last one, the reader is supposed to be paying a certain amount of attention to the clues that are being presented as each one of them presents their perspective on what happens and the solution that they've come to because of that perspective. We are supposed to be evaluating that evidence alongside them and trying to figure it out. Um, this comes up a lot in Justice League stories, but I would say it's most famously drawn out in um, the Adam Strange stories. Almost all the Adam Strange stories fit that pattern. Yeah. Um, I, I really, I like it. I think it, it gives readers a lot more credit than a lot of, of comic writers and, and creators do. Um, and I think that there's a lot of fun there, too. Gardner Fox and Julie Schwartz had a lot of fun talking uh, these things out, and they would talk about, like, you know, getting together in the morning and, and trying to hammer out all the details of, of what the, the solution at the end would actually be. And, you know, Schwartz not being a great person by trying to get Fox <laughs> to, like, pay for his lunches every time they did that and things <laughs> like that. I, <laughs> I have real mixed feelings about Schwartz, although he does, he does show up in this issue. Um, which is hilarious. Sorry, I'm all over the place on this one. Um, but Sid Green famously likes to like sneak Schwartz in uh, <laughs> to his work. And he's on the uh, top of page seven. You can see him in the, the center of the crowd there. <laughs> oh, gosh. Um, yeah, that's funny. <laughs> but yeah, no, you can just... <laughs> You, there, there's so much more going on if you're really paying attention instead of just flipping through the pages. And so I, I like things that, that reward the more attentive reading. Yeah, it's like the story is like almost like science fiction, but almost like a detective story yeah. kind of in yeah. a, in a, you know, a bleak way. There are stories, and I think their, their stories are kind of always like that. Like, you know, the three of them are either adventuring separately or together, and then something happens, and they all mm -hmm. kind of have their own opinion and then they try to like kind of work together to figure out what really you know what's going on here so i really do like oh, that like you said each other yeah. too like yeah, they're the, a great group dynamic yeah. 
I, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. And like you said, for sure, I mean, the main characters, it's like when you have, you know, what is it? I say this one? This one's originally from Mystery in Space 86 from 1963. And uh, Carol Sorensen, yeah, she's like, it's not like there's two guys and then then there's, you know, an afterthought of, oh, there's a female character as well. She's, it's like she's on equal footing with them, which is really cool. Cause like you said, it's, it's, that was for 1963, that was something that was very, very rare. Mm-hmm. Except from Fox work. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, cause yeah, you look at, you know, the rest of DC really, I don't, can't really think of anybody cause you look at like a lot of the other stories. It, it's mostly, it was just, you know, like, I don't even say an afterthought, but the, the female characters definitely were on equal footing with the men. And then, like I said, especially at Marvel, like, you know, my gosh, like the Fantastic Four, like Sue Richards was, she was <laughs> definitely like kind of like a, a fifth wheel for a while there, I feel. I I agree, which is unfortunate. Although I do like um, Ramsey Fawaz pointed out in um, his book, um, what was it, New Mutants, um, the way in which the the outline of her actually draws more attention and so there is some interesting like we don't notice the way in which she is rendered invisible until she's invisible um and so i do think that there's there's some alternative readings i don't think that that was the intention of the creators at the time though yeah probably not that's just like one of those like uh happy uh, accident type things <laughs> like, yeah it was just like it worked out it's something that you know, can point out but it was there was no intention there for sure but yeah the star rovers i loved on the first splash page when uh, it has them up in the corner there all three of them i love their names homer glint carol Sorensen, and rick purvis <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah there's a little box there it has all three of them in it and i really like that so yeah this was a good one i mean sid green usually when i would see his artwork it wasn't just solely his work it was either he was penciling and someone else was inking or he was inking someone else's pencils but i mean he does a pretty serviceable job here i mean it's it's definitely good i mean i like the other two a little bit better i think they're a little stronger art wise but you know gil kane's not an easy person to top this especially in the back of the silver age <laughs> agreed and i i do think that it, it suffers because of the direct following you know you go from from those more detailed, richer backgrounds, for example, to turning the page to this and everything's just kind of simplified. Like it does, it gets everything done. It's just not as, as exciting visually. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it, it like you said, it does, it, it does its job, tells a good story. So, mm-hmm. I mean, that's, that's what they're here for. And again, this is, you know, reprinted in the seventies, but when this came out in 1963, this was, you know, they were basically writing for a, a lot younger people than what comics yeah. are being written for now. So this was, yeah. that, that was, they were making, they were doing what they were hired to do of all these creators back then. But I do love the letter columns, uh, messages from beyond. That's one of my, yeah. I love that crazy logo. So that's something I always wanted to, I definitely wanted to point out. I'll, uh, Definitely look at some crazy ads here too. The uh, the good old sea monkeys oh, ad right. for a dollar. <laughs> they did mention um, Gardner Fox in the letters page, which was cool. Um, I mean, obviously that, that's a, a fairly common one, but I really liked um, the the way that they described his writing. Um, I should have pulled the quote. Two seconds. Um. That uh, that he was always a sensitive writer was uh, this uh, guy Lillian um, in this little story speaking specifically about the um, 
the man in the mystery mask that um, he captured human professional loneliness as no comics writer has ever done before. And I thought that was really nice um, because I do think that Gardner Fox, that's another one of the things that, especially when compared to Brome um, on, for instance, Green Lantern stories, um, it can sometimes feel like his characterization is is lacking or is not as as deep. But I think that he was just going for something else. And I really I do see a lot of humanness in his stories. And so I was happy to see that that somebody else picked up on that, too. Um, specifically that professional loneliness, I thought was, I mean, that's, that, that's hard to capture sometimes, you know, I think if, if somebody else was able yeah. to see that, like, I, I appreciate that. And I'm glad that it made it in the, the letters columns. Yeah. I mean, all three of those letters, if you look at them, all three people wrote in and had nothing but good things to say about that, uh, mm-hmm. man, man in the mystery mask, you know, it's, you know, charm and mystery. And what does the other guy say? It was a, you know excellent story well developed and paced so yeah all uh, all good things i mean i'm sure back then like you and i just said especially you know fox was like one of the top guys in comics so mm-hmm. yeah for sure he was you know he was gonna get some love but like you said not enough but he got some but <laughs> he could have always used some more <laughs> <laughs> well yeah, i mean well, I, specifically in modern day i would say he doesn't get a lot of love um yeah Back then, I think that the main thing that that made it difficult was not everybody knew that they were reading a Gardner Fox story. Like, if you'll notice, like, they only list him in two of the letters. The first letter, I, I'm not sure if the person knows who wrote that. Um, and that's unfortunately really common. It, it was better in the Silver Age than in the Golden Age, but... Gardner mm-hmm. Fox is still kind of a, a hidden, like he he only did a handful of of interviews. For instance, he didn't he just didn't put himself out there the way a lot of other writers and, and artists of the time did, and especially not the editors. The editors were really king in that time. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think too. My gosh, like it. I feel like it took DC a long time to put creator credits in their books. Yeah. Even you know, yeah. like this is a reprint, so it's there. But I, I seriously doubt you had those little boxes at the bottom of the first page telling you who the creators were. And you know, like I said, that was different times. It wasn't like the internet was at your fingertips, and you could yeah. say who wrote this story. So, yeah, that's that's a good point. Oh my gosh. So yeah, some of these ads, one of the ads that creep, this one creeps me out like beyond belief, only a dollar for sea monkeys own a bowl full of happiness. Like gross. My gosh. Monkeys are great to include with the fisherman story. (laughs) Yes. I love so eager to please. They can even be trained. I'm like, that sounds really creepy. (laughs) My gosh. And then uh, one of my other favorite ones too, in the back here, I love this huge ad for, uh, you know, Captain Marvel. Well, now he's called Shazam, but all that Shazam is coming in DC's Christmas gift to you. Like that looks so cool. I like that. That is a great one. (laughs) Yeah, they were, they always had pulled out really good ads in these two. I really, really like them. These can't even, and then, Oh, of course my, my favorite ad of all time in the very back cover there on the inside, the insult that made a man out of Mac. (laughs) Uh, Oh my gosh. When I read this, I'm just thinking to myself, so wait a minute. 
it, punching someone means you're a man. Okay, I got it. <laughs> it's like, what in the world? Like, yeah, hindsight's always twenty twenty. But oh my gosh, come on! Like, there's there's got to be a there's got to be a better way than just thinking, oh, somebody bullied me. Well, I'm gonna punch them, so now I'm better than them. I read that and I just shake my head every time. But that is my favorite one because it makes me shake my head and laugh. Like, seriously? <laughs> oh yeah. my gosh! Yeah. I, it is. I mean, I do like the the way that don't be half a man is cut in half. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. No, I do get a kick out of the the little strips that run alongside it, though. Um, that whole like you're gonna dry up and blow away. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a good line there. I'm like, what? <laughs> yeah, that's funny. And I do think over the years they changed the. Like sometimes I've seen like this is what one two three four five, six, seven panels. I think I've seen ones that are only like four or five. And yeah, they yeah. Cut, cut some stuff out and change the wording a little bit, but it's always the same premise. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh! And then yeah, after he punches the bully, yeah, like you said about blowing dry up and blow away, the bully's gonna now because he punched him and the girl on the beach. Oh Mac, you are a real man after all. It's like, <laughs> oh my gosh. Oh. Uh, and then we, of course, have to see, like, a huge picture of Charles Atlas in a leopard, you know, uh, swimsuit, too. Because that's really going to sell the ad for all the guys out there. Wow. What well, does it say? Let me sh- I'm yeah. sure. <laughs> yeah. Let me show you, show how I can make you a real He-Man from head to toe in just 15 minutes a day. <laughs> that is awesome. But, oh, my goodness. But, yeah, great issue overall. It's a lot of fun. I know, like I said, when we were talking about what we were going to go over on the show here there were some other really strong you know fox stories and other issues but mm-hmm. this one being all gardner fox cover to cover was a big draw for sure for you know you and i we we're both really really digging this one <laughs> definitely <laughs> definitely for sure so well all right so hey jennifer so why don't you talk about um what else you have going on right now like you have out you know your gardner fox biography so everybody needs to look that up but uh what is uh, another project you have uh, coming up here well considering today is june 26th i feel like it's important to at least mention that i am also working on a uh, follow-up to my gardner fox biography in a way i am working on a biography of jerry bales now so let's say somebody listening to this isn't really familiar with Jerry. So why don't you talk about who Jerry was and what he was really, you know, if you're a comics book, you know, comic book nerd, you know who Jerry Bales is. But somebody that might be on the fringe might be like, oh, I don't know that name. So who's he? What's he all about? So Jerry Bales is otherwise known as the father of comic fandom. He grew up in the Golden Age. He read a lot of Gardner Fox stories, and he was really drawn to All-Star Comics especially um, and found felt that they were essentially his ethical upbringing. He, he used to read them the way people read the Bible. Um, and he, he really tried to embody the morals that he picked up from those issues into his life like he he was for instance even as a young jerry he was fighting against um desegregating or uh, fighting to desegregate a pool so that he could go swimming with his black friend um he was also uh, a strong environmentalist he was he and his uh second wife actually helped end the um, burning in schools, which was a huge uh, pollution issue. 
Mm. And, um, but more than that, he, he looked at comics and he saw that there was depth to it, that, that it wasn't just fun stories, that there was ethical and, and, uh, like he he looked at it from an academic lens before anybody was really doing that, um, and he was really he he came out with with Alter Ego, which was the first fanzine that was dedicated specifically to comics, and that's what gives a, a lot of people that you know father of comic fandom is after that everything just kind of exploded, but he he. It wasn't just what he put out. It was the way in which he started something and then encouraged others to continue it. And the way in which he kept driving forward the... the He, he was... Like, his who's who, I think, is the, the most famous thing that he put together. Um, which yeah. is, for him... It wasn't enough to just read the stories and analyzing them and analyze them. He wanted to make sure that people were getting credit for the work that they were doing. And so he went back and he would interview people. He would track down notes like he he was very big in indexing. He put together um, the Kappa Alpha and all of that. Like he really wanted to create well, comic studies before we had comic studies, although he, he called us panelologists. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he was like literally the first like not just comic book super nerd, like super historian, really. Mm -hmm. Yeah, big, big into that. And then, you know, he got uh, uh, introduced to his, you know, good buddy Roy Thomas there. And they were really two huge forces behind like you said, putting out Golden Age, Silver Age, and then even into the Bronze Age with Roy, still putting things together with their magazines, and it's just back issue now and alter ego. They just they do such a great job of trying to spotlight some creators that you know really had no voice back then or no exposure yeah. back then, just to get people, you know, get eyes on these people to say, hey, these these people needed to be, you know, to get their due as well. Exactly. Because yeah, so that's, it, and that's he was one hundred percent like that that fight against injustice, you know, like he felt like people deserved the the credit that they were earned. and he he really did try like he was uh, the first person to to really put a spotlight on Bill Finger, for instance. Mm, yeah, oh man, if anybody hasn't seen it, watch that documentary. What the heck mm -hmm. is it called? Uh, oh, I yeah. can't remember the name of it now. Uh, Oh, goodness gracious. Is it Batman and Bill? I think that's right. I think that or might Bill be Bill and it. the Batman? Something like that, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's just, it's it's incredibly informative, but it's also incredibly sad, too. I, like, got done watching that. was just like, ugh. Like, you know, you just, you saw all these other people and, of course, the company making, you know, billions of dollars off of this character. And then this poor guy, you know, basically died in poverty. It's a shame. Yeah. It, it really is. But okay, so yeah, Gardner Fox, everybody give Gardner Fox more love, not only by buying these awesome back issues, which, you know, you and I talked about that before we started recording as well. Like if obviously you might have a hard time finding these original issues, you know, original stories, the issues they appeared in, but uh, they had some great reprints, you know, for a while in the 70s, especially DC. 
So you can get out there and get the reprints for a decent price. You know, they're the prices of comics right now are a little crazy. You know, the, the market's a little <laughs> inflated, but things will eventually come back down. But if you can see any of these, uh, definitely pick them up because they're just, oh, they're a blast. They really, really are. <laughs> okay. So, all right, Jennifer, I want to thank you for being on. Um, this was a lot of fun. So um, where can everybody uh, look for you out there if they want to get in touch with you? Um, I would say the easiest place to find me is on Twitter. I'm just at Jennifer Duras. Yeah, for sure. We, uh, you know, you're on there. You're not as on Twitter as much as I am because you actually have a lot more going on in your life and you still have a lot of responsibilities where I'm kind of just getting to a point where it's like I work and then I'm just on social media all the time. So <laughs> you'll see Jennifer you're doing good stuff too. <laughs> yeah, you'll, sure. yeah. You'll see Jennifer on there. Just not, you know, every two minutes like you will me. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, we're, there's a lot of really good people, you know, comic book fandom. Yeah. They have their, um, there are certain people that are uh, not the nicest people in the world, but I feel like overall the community is is very good and healthy and very welcoming. And, you know, you and I know a lot of good people out there like, you know, Mike from Comics of the Golden Age. And yeah, yeah. we've got a great little corner of Twitter. I, I'm, I'm really yeah. thankful for that. Yeah, yeah, for sure. It's 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 nice. There's there's always fun, you know, good conversations. It's always a, a good place to be. So, yeah, everybody go out there and uh, look for Jennifer on Twitter. So. Once again, I want to say thanks, Jennifer, and then I will be back in a minute to wrap up the show after a quick break. Where's Ellen? Where's Ellen? Stay where you are. Come out in the open. Come out where I can see you. No. Let me see you as you really are. What do you want? What are you doing? We are repairing our ship to leave your world. We need your help. You ask me to help you. How can I when you've kidnapped and stolen, for all I know, even murdered? We have a long way to go. By nightfall, we will have left your Earth. You will not see us until it is time. Time for what? Time to kill? Time to take over? We have souls and minds, and we are good. Then why are you hiding? We are not yet ready to meet in friendship. Why not? Because you would be horrified at the sight of us. Had you fallen on our world, it might have been different. We understand more. All I understand is that you've taken my friends captive. And now the girl. We hold her hostage as well as the others. Keep your people away or we will destroy them. How do I know that your whole mission here isn't to destroy all of us? Our mission was to another world. You must believe me. Only an error dragged us toward Earth. Stand out in the sun. In time, perhaps. Then I can't believe you. Let us stay apart, the people of your world and ours. For if we come together, there will only be destruction. I've got to see you as you really are. Come out or I can't take the responsibility of protecting you. Very well then. You asked to see this. So you shall.
All right, everybody. Thanks for tuning in once again. Uh, and I want to thank Jennifer for coming on the show. Uh, such a great guest, you know. Uh, she's a good friend on Twitter. You know, author of this really cool book. And she loves her some Gardner Fox. So definitely check her out on Twitter. And uh, check out her book, uh, Forgotten All-Star, Gardner Fox Biography. Um, next episode is definitely going to be a swing back to the uh, movie side of things. And uh, probably me and my buddy Herman talking about another uh, really cool movie. So definitely look for that one in the future. From my heart and from my hand, why don't people understand my intention? Stand my intentions.